Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Alina Martin. And I'm Lucinda Rouse. We're reporters at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. In this episode, we will be joined by two guests to talk about how charities can get involved in the ever-growing gaming and streaming world. But first, Alina, you had an interesting interview this week. Yes, I spoke to Joe Todd from Respect, which is one of the pioneering UK membership organizations in the domestic abuse sector. Mm. And we had a very interesting conversation. So Joe is one of the co-founders and currently the chief executive. And she had a lot to say about what it takes to start a charity and things that she would do different today if she could start all over again. I would say... If anyone was thinking of setting something up, don't think you can do it on your own. And as a chief exec, I think a strength is to surround yourself with people that are better than you. You know, I want my finance person to be better than me at finances. I want the head of one of my projects to know more about that area of subject than I do. If you can put your ego to one side and just let everyone else be the experts and then you're just the person that kind of holds it all together and I mean, it sounds like she's downplaying her talents there. It must be quite the form of expertise in its own right to pull everything together. Definitely. And Jo has been doing this for over two decades now, and she is constantly learning. She has been here since almost the beginning of this sector that works with perpetrators of domestic abuse. And she had something to say about what she would do differently if she could start it all over again today. What would I do differently, though? Well, we've been really careful to nudge ourselves a place in the violence against women and girls sector, um, recognising that a lot of people at the start were very hesitant about perpetrator work and whether it was a good use of money. I mean, crudely, why should we put money into the violent men and, and not put that money into supporting women who've been abused and that's a really compelling argument so we've never like blown our own trumpet and claimed lots because we've been really aware of that sensibility of of people feeling that I think now is the time to be bolder actually and say the work with perpetrators is critical to supporting women and children it's absolutely vital that we have a spotlight on the men who are causing harm. Really interesting. Yes, so Joe brings a wealth of experience to the charity sector, particularly when it comes to working with perpetrators of domestic abuse. She worked on the front line for 15 years and she spoke a little bit about how the idea for the charity came about. So I'm going to play you a little bit of that. I mean, I used to do perpetrator work a long time ago, over 15 years ago now I was doing frontline work. And some of the men I worked with would say things like, you know, I looked in the mirror and I could just see my own father and I never wanted to turn into him, but here I am. I'm behaving like he did. I'm causing the same harm to my children that he caused to me. I look at my wife and I see my mum. You know, I want to change. And that's... You know, we have to offer opportunities for men like that to change. Mm, very thought-provoking. Yes. And she also wants to make it a point that not everybody has the capacity or the willingness to change. And in those cases, more money should be put into placing barriers between these people mm. and their victims. So mm. 
If you want to know more, you should go to the Third Sector website and read the article and see what she had to say. Well, thanks so much, Alina, for that little preview. Moving on to our main feature this week, how much do you know about the world of gaming? Do you know your Twitch from your Discord? Have you ever heard of the Jingle Jam? If it sounds to you like I'm speaking another language, don't worry. To be perfectly honest, I'm in a very similar boat. And in this episode, we're going to try and make things clearer. An estimated 44 million people in the UK regularly play games on consoles, PCs, smartphones and tablets. At $200 billion a year, the global gaming industry is bigger than the film and music industries put together, but it's also generous and charitable. We're very lucky to be joined today by two experts from the streaming and gaming field. First up is Georgia Payton, gaming and streaming manager at the British Red Cross. Before joining the charity, she was the innovation manager at Marie Curie UK, helping the charity to develop new products and ideas, including live streamed celebrity quizzes during the pandemic. Hello, Georgia. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Also joining us is Tom Downey, the UK charity manager at Tiltify. Tom works with charities on fundraising through creators and live streaming on platforms including Twitch, Facebook and YouTube Live. Hello, Tom. Hello. So obviously we want to know about Tiltify, what it is, what it does. But first, can you please explain what streaming and gaming are and how Tiltify fits into this landscape? Sure. So streaming and gaming are two very different things. And yeah. in the charity sector, I feel like they've become very cross-contaminated. So we can we can dissect that in more detail. But in a nutshell, we try to sort of avoid the word gaming where it's all possible. I think there's negative connotations and also confusion, both from negative connotations of gaming that it's guys in their mom's basements playing computer games or gaming in the charity sector, which tends to be um, gambling and lotteries and that sort of stuff. So the conversation gets very, very tied up. Streaming, however, or live streaming, it's exactly what you, you think it is. It's people anywhere around the world live streaming, doing their thing. Maybe they're playing games, maybe they're doing a run, maybe they're singing. And you've probably seen live streams. I mean, even if you watch the iPlayer live, that is technically a live stream. And the way that Tiltify interacts with it, we're a fundraising platform, but it's primarily about engagement and real-time interaction. So that's where we come in got a sort of technology features that allow people to you know when people donate it's nice to get a shout out nice to have your name oh thank you so much for the donation and that sort of stuff we allow that technology to happen on anyone's live stream anywhere around the world whether you've got one viewer or 10 million the technology is sort of there now for everybody as opposed to just the bbc headliners as it were <laughs> and so you are across multiple platforms for the purposes of this discussion what are the main platforms that are used for live streaming and particularly fundraising. Yeah, uh, so Twitch is fabulous because it has it comes with a community style. Um, that is to say that if you're not familiar with it, and then maybe this is your first time thinking, huh, maybe we should get into this before you even you know pause this podcast, go and watch an hour of Twitch and come back. What is Twitch? Twitch is a live streaming website. So it is a twitch.tv is the website you would visit. And it has lots and lots of people, by lots I mean millions and millions of people, broadcasting themselves across the internet, live. They will be doing whatever they want, and people will be tuning in and talking to them and having a chat. 
and engaging and doing whatever. Of course, YouTube also has its own live functionality. TikTok has a live functionality. Facebook does. All of the main social media platforms, less maybe Twitter, allow the functionality for some form of live interaction, live engagement. And Tom, you said that it's counterproductive perhaps to be talking about gaming and streaming. However, Georgia, you are the gaming and streaming manager at the British Red Cross. So (laughs) how do these two worlds, or perhaps one world of which gaming is a subcomponent, fit with charity activities? That's a really great question. And yes, there's a lot of confusion around the names. And I think lots of different charities are approaching it in different ways and calling it different things. And I don't think that they're right or wrong. Gaming still brings to mind what essentially we're doing so it's still pretty helpful at this stage but where does it come into play within the charity sector it's huge it has a whole plethora of opportunities so like with any other social media platform that is what streaming allows you to do whether you're doing that on twitch on tiktok live or what have you it's a way of sharing long-form content We have all become very, very good at sharing short form content. So three second videos or telling a story in an image. But now we have this growing mainstream desire to have long form content. And they don't have to be big swishy documentaries that are put on beautifully by the BBC. They can be a panel with some of your operations teams and some of your beneficiaries it could be a tour of your services it could be talking about games or movies or tv shows that deal with the topics that you deal with as a charity it's it's another way to bring that to life and with the same of all social media platforms that we've seen there is a beautiful fundraising element to it as well we've seen facebook donate we've seen instagram donate this is now what we're seeing here so it's it's no different we're not reinventing the wheel we're not changing revolutionizing fundraising we're just doing what we've already done and we've seen done on other digital platforms we just happen to be doing it on some more we can do this long-form content ourselves as charities we can put on events um, I worked at Marie Curie and during the pandemic when we were looking to pivot what we did we did live stream quizzes with celebrities some of our ambassadors and we did that on twitch and it was incredible we did a series of 15 over 2020 and we raised 145,000 pounds and we had a whole suite of celebrities they were all very different they brought different things to the plate and what was beautiful is they brought different fandoms with them so for example we had like an 80s music quiz or a 90s music quiz and we had Claire Richards from Steps we had Basil Brush we had but then we we sort of took that a stage further and we had Alison Steadman from Gavin and Stacey. We did Gavin and Stacey quizzes. We had David and Georgia Tennant doing Doctor Who quiz. Mm. And it was absolutely phenomenal. So you as a charity, you can do your own event. Yeah. But equally, this is a place where peer-to-peer fundraising thrives because it can be done live. And literally be like, oh, come and watch me for a couple of hours. I'm going to do something silly or I'm going to do one of my passions. And every time you donate... I'll stick stickers on my face or I'll write your name on my t-shirt and when we get to 100 pounds I'll eat a tin of cat food it's just (laughs) it's a bit silly it's a bit of fun 
it really allows fundraisers to make the most of their fundraising and engage with their donors, which we haven't seen before. Okay. And so in your team and on the British Red Cross's journey into fundraising through streaming and also creating your own content, what do you spend most of your time doing? What takes up the most resource? Are you focusing more on tapping in on other people's content as a way of raising money or getting your message out or are you focusing on creating your own content we focus more on collaborating with others who already have a community I'm very aware that it takes time to build a community it's a skill it's something you have to put a lot of time and effort and love into and that is awareness raising essentially and I'm a fundraiser that's my the bottom line of my job is to raise money to ensure that the British Red Cross can do the amazing work that it does so what we do at the moment and what we've done since 2020 is we have collaborated with people who stream as a hobby who are new to streaming but also to people who stream part-time full-time this is their full-on profession and enable them, empower them to talk about British Red Cross, to raise money in our name and in support of us. And it's really, really beautiful. Like the cross-section of fundraising that we've had is mind-blowing. We've had DJ sets, we've had crochet sessions, we've had a gentleman who worked in a forge, so we learned how to forge for a week. And we've had video games of every kind. We go out with some ads we go out on social media organic and we say, come fundraise for us during this time. This is your challenge. So we traditionally have done time challenges. So for Operation COVID-19, stream for 19 hours. For Operation Anti-Loneliness, stream for 20 hours for the 20% of people who often always feel lonely. Mm. And, and it really gives them what people tangible challenge to do. It might not be completing a marathon over a month. That's all it is. It's no different. Like I say, we're not reinventing the wheel here. It is just sponsorship, mass participation done online. Yeah. It's interesting that you've touched on, obviously, in your job as a fundraiser, the bottom line for you is raising as much money as possible. But you've also talked about reaching new communities, new audiences. And I wonder when going into this new arena of fundraising, did you go with the purpose of fundraising exclusively or was outreach also a major component or does fundraising come before awareness in your priority list or are they closely interlinked? I think fundraising will always be at the forefront of me and my team because we are a fundraising team that's what our metrics on that is our purpose I guess Mm. but equally the gaming and streaming program came out of our fundraising innovation team and their role is to find new audiences and find new income streams and I guess that outreaches the new audiences and that is so important that's part of our fundraising strategy that we know that we need to be diversifying our income streams our audiences and this is a really great way, I guess, of combining those two. But I would sort of dispel a myth from the get-go. A lot of people, when they think of video gaming, they think of streaming, they think of maybe techie stuff, they might assume that this is this stereotype of a video gamer who is a angry teenager in the basement yelling at a computer and throwing their 
controller out the window. No, no, the mm. average age of a gamer in Europe is 31. Yeah. And the male-female split is much more 50-50 than most people would imagine. And it's much broader. Like I was saying, video games aren't all shooters. They're not all zombie massacres. Yeah. They are, let's do some power wash simulating or let's put these books back nicely on a shelf or let's do some puzzles or let's do candy crush or it's a whole range of things and I think a lot of people who don't identify with the word gamer so my my mum example she's nearly 70 and she plays candy crush like it's going out of fashion (laughs) but never ever ever in her life would she refer to herself as a gamer yeah and I think that's a really important key fact that people forget when they're thinking about this space and the opportunities Mm. and the value of it they think that it's not their current audience or it's not their future audience I think most people would be surprised and it is yeah and Tom you must hold quite a unique perspective on how various charities use the streaming platforms to raise funds and also get their word across could you share any examples of ways that charities have used Twitch, for example, that's been particularly striking to you? Yeah, of course. There's, I mean, yes, you're right. There are lots and lots of examples of people doing all sorts of things. And I'm in quite a privileged position, which is I get to basically see what everyone's doing all the time. <laughs> um, some great examples that are out there. Well, a bit like what Georgia was saying about community engagement being the first and foremost sort of job of the charity as it were and then mobilizing said community or being there for them when Mm. they want to support you that's one side of it I'll use a British Red Cross example because because we're in the room but I think it was gosh it was last year maybe when the the, that awful uh, explosion Beirut happened and there was a fundraiser based in uh, it was called My Local Arab but was he based in America Georgia? He might have been based in America. Anyway it basically has no affiliation to the British Red Cross Britishness. But what had already started to happen is the brand is affiliated with the situation, these sort of things. And this this random guy just decided to do a fundraiser, raised, I think it was around 50 grand uh, in 24 hours. And that's kind of what we see a lot of this creator economy, this drastically diverse group of very influential people. When we think of influencer, you know, you, you've sort of got the stereotype influence of the, oh my God, check out this lipstick, mwah, mwah, or whatever. <laughs> but actually it's so, so diverse. Every, I think Georgie used the perfect word, which I think sums up everything. And maybe we should rename this from gaming, but to fandom fundraising, mm-hmm. which is what it really is. You're looking at these, these niches and these collectives of people that have these figureheads that have quite a lot of power and control over their communities and audiences and when something happens or when someone wants to fundraise they say cool all right guys let's do this and one of the biggest fundraising events is the jingle jam is it not absolutely yeah that's a that's a glory i mean i i could have gone straight into that example but i thought you might bring it up so i didn't well you've very kindly shared a couple of clips from jingle jam to give our listeners an idea of what we're talking about so i'll just play one of them now for Jingle Jam 2022, which has had the biggest collection of video games so far. Yeah, you're way too slow. We need to do this faster. Get on with it, Bree. You need to get on with it. Three million. She's snappy. Three million, four hundred forty-eight thousand pounds, seven hundred fifty-two and forty pence. Whoa! Wow! 
Amazing. Charity. Fantastic. Going towards so many all. incredible charities this year. So what are we what are we listening to there, Tom? <laughs> I think that was the <laughs> that was the, the, the closing minute of the uh, Jingle Jam event. Effectively, it's a group of friends that started Yogscast about 15 or so years ago. They started a fundraiser about 10 years ago, and now it raises about three and a half million pounds every year for charity. They do a 14-day television show, effectively, live with various guests and content creators coming on board and doing things. They involve the whole community, so it's not just the person that you'll see broadcast talking, but you'll see lots of other people from, you know, friends and family of the Jingle Jam community coming along and doing their own fundraisers as well. They fundraise for, I think it was 12 or 13 different charities, and obviously British Red Cross were one of the recipients this year. But it's a fantastic event, and I see them certainly from the UK, being the future of fundraising in this country, like quite simply put. I think there's so much to learn from how they're operating, how they communicate with their audiences, how they talk live one-on-one. I sincerely believe that if charities aren't sitting up and paying attention and are not aware of that, then they're missing a very, very obvious trick. Georgia, would you agree with that? I would agree. I think the Jingle Jam is an absolutely incredible event. I highly recommend anyone to just go and have a little look at their highlights. You just get a vision of how fun and community focused and how it's so much more than just video games. I know that's Mm -hmm. a lot of conversation that comes up um, internally. It's just about video games. No, it's not. If you actually watch their content, it's so much more. It's about them. They're they're entertainers. When the donations happen, you'll notice very quickly that the donations only come when they're not playing the games. Yeah. <laughs> when they're saying thank you, when they're when they're interacting with the audience. If they're playing games, the donations plummet. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is this misunderstanding that it's a new product in the charity portfolio. It's not. It's a whole new... Well, we call it a programme at the British Red Cross because it is so much more because it is that mass participation thing. It's our own events. It's Mm. a whole awareness side that we could be growing and building. It's corporate. And things like the Jingle Jam that are incredible. And we're bringing in a whole new audience. We're developing a whole new income stream. And we're teaching the rest of the organisation about these tools, about being more digital and supporter-led and community-led it's the future, as Tom said. So earlier I was asking you about fundraising versus outreach and like building a charity profile among a new audience. But it seems from what you're saying and from what Tom was saying as well, that as well as a new audience learning about the charity, the charities themselves are learning about a younger donor. So how do you, as a charity, find these content creators that are the right fit for you? How do you go about finding an influencer or a streamer or a creator that you might work with? Especially if you're a smaller charity, where would you advise people to start? It really depends. I think if you're starting out from scratch, I would start by looking at your existing fundraisers. Like I say, there will be someone who has done fundraising for you before who is already dabbling in this space or has a friend, a brother, a mother, a kid who is interested in this space who I'm sure would love to lend their experience their thoughts their excitement and passion to you and give you some ideas and and just talk it through 
But I would say the same for your colleagues. Even if you're a really small charity, 100% bet that there is someone who works at your charity or who's related to someone who works at your charity who dabbles, is involved, is passionate about this and who'd want to talk about it. And go and immerse yourself. Go and spend a couple of hours on Twitch or YouTube Live. Look at what people are doing. Like, that's very handy. It's in categories. But, yeah, just go and have a look. See what people are putting in the chat. See what is in people's profiles. Just learn and experience. But in terms of, like, where we are, the British Red Cross, and what we're doing now, I would say we're pretty established. We're sort of in our fourth year. And we reach out to people through a load of different approaches. We do use um, mass marketing outreach, like individual outreach to our past participants. We have a platform called Discord, which is where we do all of our stewardship. And that's where we speak to all of our past fundraisers or potential future fundraisers. So we can really engage and inspire with them there. If you don't know what Discord is, essentially it's like a really jazzy version of her Facebook group or Slack, but it's a really nice place. We also do direct approach. And I think the most important thing there is to do your due diligence. I would probably say give people a lot of time, like say, don't reach out and say, oh, we're doing this event in a week. Do you want to be part of it? Yeah. No, give them like a month, two months, three months, because especially if they're professional streamers, content creators, then they will have a lot on their schedule. Yeah. So, yeah, we have a bit of a blended approach where we go through a couple of different methods. And, Tom, we brought you on here for your insight rather than to allow you to do a sales pitch for Tiltify. I would never, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it seems to me, certainly I've been speaking to lots of different charities in the past few days for the feature I'm writing about this, and all of them mention Tiltify and nothing else, really. What is it that gives Tiltify the edge? Like, How have you managed to fill this space in this growing medium ultimately it's the technology and being sort of we do stuff that nothing else can do so for example georgia mentioned about like why wouldn't someone do this type of sort of live stream fundraising when they're fundraising for doing the london marathon Mm. for example and that's like it's a really nice example because you could say Typically, a fundraising window is about the same amount of time as the training window. You know, it's roughly nine months to get roughly two to three K in. And people do lots of different ways of doing that from, you know, sending an email out saying, hello, dear friends and family, please sponsor me, to a Facebook post saying, please sponsor me, to, uh, you know, a pub quiz or a dress down down day at work or all of these sort of things. And raffle, I don't know, whatever. People do community fundraising. What Tiltify does is it brings a lot of those offline types of fundraising. So not necessarily the email saying, hello, will you sponsor me? But it brings those offline fundraising like the pub quiz or the dress down day at work or a bake sale or all those things into an online space. So for example, the tools exist to be able to sell products on Filterify. That is to say that if you donate £5, I will post a brownie to you and you can ask for the address to post it to and that sort of stuff. So now you're you're bringing your offline fundraising online or maybe, you know, you're going to be doing the London Marathon and you're trying to decide you want to ask your friends and family, how should I dress up for the London Marathon as a pirate or a fairy? <laughs> you can put a poll on and people will donate towards that poll, putting money towards the answer that they want to see the outcome for. 
So you're getting this real live interaction, whether it's, you know, sharing it on Twitter and social media and updating community with live posts, or whether it is a live in-person broadcast where they're saying, oh God, please stop donating to the pirate outfit. I don't want to do this with a wooden leg (laughs) or, or whatever. The other side of it is that we put community at the absolute core of our fundraising. So when we look at where the creator economy is going, and you'll hear me use that term for the rest of this year, it's the, it's the buzzword, include it in the article, <laughs> creator economy, total, it's the buzzword of 2023. More than gaming for good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, kill that. That's very 2017. But when we look at the creator economy, we look at someone like Dr. Lupo, you know, he does a fundraiser once a year, at least for St. Jude's, an American children's hospital charity, where he raises about $2 million dollars in an afternoon and that's you know he does lots of other fundraising but that's his his thing he loves the charity the charity funnily enough love him too but then you've got people like mr beast who is now the, if you're not familiar with mr beast he is the largest youtuber in the world so you know worth being familiar with he's also set up a second youtube channel which is just called mr beast's philanthropy He's 24 years old and he will do things like, I'm going to cure a thousand people from blindness by giving money away. You know, philanthropy is absolutely core to the creator economy sort of mindset and to the Gen Z mindset, effectively. There is a real desire to make a difference and to be a part of it. And when your top content creators, the most influential people in your world are taking charity as being their priority, suddenly it becomes everyone's priority. And so because of that, and because we are the platform that all of these major creators use as well, it ripples hugely throughout the community. Well, all sounds very exciting indeed. Tom Downey from Tiltify and Georgia Payton from the British Red Cross. Thank you both very much for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's been great. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Georgia and Tom. And if you'd like to know more about the streaming world and the opportunities available to charities, I have also written a long read feature speaking to a handful of other charities about how they're getting involved in this space. Next week, Russ and I will be back speaking to Priya Singh, chair of the NCVO, about reforming their internal culture, among other things. And if you know someone who is not a podcast person, but would benefit from the conversations that we have here, they can now read the transcripts to all of our recent episodes on the Third Sector website under podcasts. But from us now on here, thank you very much for listening. I'm Lucinda Rouse. And I'm Alina Martin. Thank you to our guests, Georgia Payton and Tom Downey, and our producer, Nav Pal. Join us again next week. 